This is Katrin with Disability Rights New York. Welcome to our podcast, Empire State of Rights, where we bring you information on the most relevant topics regarding disability rights and advocacy. Today, we welcome Mark Sullivan. He's a freelance photographer from Brooklyn, New York. Today, he's going to talk to us about his DRNY story and his journey as a business owner and a self-advocate. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you start by telling us about your freelance photography business? Uh, yes, I, I started around uh, 2015. I was working with Access VR. We did the presentation, or I did it, in December of that year, or November, December, and everything was good for self-employment. So I took possession of the equipment in January, I think it was on the 14th. And then the first thing I did with it, I did the uh, Martin Luther King celebration at the uh, National Action Network up in Harlem. And this was really good because I didn't have a lot of experience doing digital photography, but I had our, the mayor, uh, senators, congresspeople, uh, and some other figures that I can't remember, drawing a blank. And they were all there and I got an opportunity to photograph everyone. Later on, what ended up happening because I covered the um, anniversary of uh, Nan, and uh, they, the press picked up my photo of uh, Reverend uh, Sharpton with uh, oh, Lin Man. <laughs> Again, I can't remember his name. But uh, anyways, that's where I started uh, getting into like photojournalism because I didn't have the place for a studio, which I have most of my experience in. Mark, thank you so much for telling us about the work that you've done so far. Let's talk a little bit now about why you decided to start your business. Years ago, I uh, was in the art department at a community college and I transferred out to RIT to do a degree in photography. And what I always liked about that when I going back to when I was in the art department was the idea of documenting, capturing the moment. So we studied all of the masters and everything. And I actually got a chance to meet a few of them here in New York. So when this opportunity came through and I wasn't able to do studio works, I did that for about 15, 16 years. I kind of went back to what I enjoyed doing like the street documentary, which kind of led into the photojournalism. I had done about three years when I lived in China of that kind of street photographies as well. And I think, you know, this is when I realized that I could transfer those skills over. So it was, it was more of, well, what can you do with what you have right in front of you? And so certainly you've had a lot of great experiences as you've really moved through this career of yours. Let's talk about what inspired you initially to even pursue photography. And how does that passion influence your photography style today? I, th I think what it, what it, what it was is uh, when I went to China and everything, I was also working with some photographers over there, but I got an opportunity to fall back on doing what I really loved when I was in college and everything was the street photography, the documentary photography. And one of the things that really struck home for me was a lot of the expats or people who had fiancés in China and had come over, they saw my work and they were like, wow, it reminds me of being there. And it really hit me. It was like, oh, okay. So it's communicating to people. And it, it, it's, it's a straightforward of this is what it's all about, or this is what you're going to see. This is the moment. So 
I ended up doing fashion photography once I started. Yeah, which was something I had an opportunity to do like a runway. Then I did uh, some of the the, uh, fashion events and things like road art after show. And that was picked up by uh, Vogue International. So I was really in a surprise. I'm getting good feedback. And when I put it up on my Instagram post, I got a little thumbs up from uh, Industrial Studio, which is one of the premier studios here in New York City. So again, it was, and I think you're, you're right, the, the passion or something, I think people are seeing that when they see the imagery and they're responding to that. You know, that it's, it's, it's kind of a captured moment of, of people or just the passion behind the photographer. So I'm getting really good responses. It seems that you really are having some great responses with a nod from Vogue. And even though you're evoking memories with your photography and really you're connecting with your audience, Let's talk about the mission of your business. That's something that's a little bit different as well. Well, one of the, for the next thing that I did when I first started the business uh, is I got connected up with the United Nations. There is an International Day of Happiness, which is, you know, and I happen to know one of the persons who was putting it on. I said, sure, come on in and stuff. And this was all on spec. So I had a great time with this. And it was the opening on, you know, to my eyes is a day of happiness for having an event. So Huffington Post picked that up. So I got exposure with that. And I really like what was going on there. So I, I think I followed up with that was the uh, International Day of Human Rights Youth Organization. That went on for a number of days. I covered that. Uh, one of the ones that was more serious was the uh, regarding a couple of religious organizations in Syria that was regarding the uh, gen- uh, genocide in Syria. And so they brought in like a half a million signatures from all over the world regarding what was happening to the Christians in Syria. And this was like another four day event. So I photographed that particular moment when they were handing over the signatures to Ban Ki-moon. And like, I think it was the next day or certainly within two days, uh, John Kerry finally came out to the press, to the world press and stated that there was genocide going on in Syria. So that was another facet of, of like, wow, I would never have known of this. I never would have been kind of a part or an observer of this. Also, what had happened is another offsite event with uh, Mueller's, uh, Kayla Mueller, who was killed in Syria. Her parents were there, along with some other people who had done some films. And they had quite a, a turnout. This was over at the Roosevelt Hotel. And... Uh, that was a, a tragic story. And to hear what was happening with her family and everything in the government was uh, really kind of, it hit home. And uh, so with, with that, I became more and more interested and involved in that end of it. And I went on to doing uh, the General Assembly in 2016. I think there was a few other events that I covered, but, but I had actually picked up my press credentials so that allowed me to be able to go in there. And I was working side by side with the AP, uh, France Press, all of the different types of uh, news organizations there. And so it sounds like the events that you, you are covering have had a particular emotional connection for you. I mean, and they're really on, a, on the full spectrum from the International Day of Happiness and then also to these very serious um, and very emotional incidents in Syria. So would you say that the events that you're covering and the photos that you're capturing, 
When thinking about them, does the importance of an event influence the work that you're capturing? That's a really good point. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but uh, yeah, that's the one thing with the freelance is uh, you do get to pick and choose what is of interest to you. So the work that I did in China, I've been covering a lot of uh, events in China, like the Asian Society. They had the uh, uh, Choice Awards, I believe it was for you know, the Chinese person. I.M. Pei was involved, we were at the UN. I did their 60th anniversary. Uh, I think that's probably where the strength of photography comes from. And maybe that's what I picked up on is that it's just the viewer, it's the photo, what's in the frame, and it's asking the viewer to come in and well, what do you see? How, does, how do you interpret that? I'm not gonna tell you, I'm just gonna simply show you and let you become a part of it. And so I think you're probably right. I think I've chosen things that were important to me and obviously a response to, public response to it. And so you've had quite the career in the things that you've covered, the places you've traveled. And so as we talk about that, can you tell us why was it that you initially contacted DRNY? Well, I contacted DRN, uh, DRNY, Disability Rights New York, because uh, what had happened, and, and this is also another part of the story, is I was homeless and in the shelter. Uh, during that period, I was in a church with like, other people basement, uh, and the laptop that I had was stolen. So I immediately went to the police station that morning when I realized it was stolen. Uh, we did all the reports. I did all the you know, appropriate things. And uh, so when I went back to my caseworker there, we put in a request to replace it. And at that point, they denied it. It didn't really put a fine point on it, but I think one of the issues was is that, well, you don't have stable housing. Well, they didn't say it. They just simply said, well, you're not generating any money. So that was in May of 2019. And, and it really, in trying to get out of the shelter and all of that, it really hit me hard because it was like, I had no way of making money and such. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I needed help and assistance. So that's when I contacted uh, Disability Rights of New York. I think I actually contacted the national number and they directed me to your organization. And so when you think back about your initial contact and then continuing to work with DRNY, can you talk to us about what that experience was like for you? What was it like working with DRNY? Well, uh, I think I think one of the, the, the great things about working with the organization was, uh, although we were, Brendan and I were focused and then uh, Jeremy on uh, getting that due process hearing and such and, and you know, trying to get the uh, laptop replaced. Being in the shelter system and dealing with those systems, going to the police department saying, oh yes, this was a grand theft. Uh, yeah, you were in a locked basement with a, a, a host and then a guard and all people were known. And their attitude, I says, well, you know, somebody stole it and I have an idea who it was. And uh, well, we don't have any video. And even my case manager, Access Vieira, were like, well, I don't understand. There's a dozen people in this room and one, you know, this is like a dinner cruise of who did it. And they wouldn't do anything. And they had to went through the victims thing and all of that. So I think what you get beaten down dealing with these systems that say, well, I'm here to help or you have the expectation of help. Now, 
I would run into you know some issues with Brenda and stuff, and she was just wonderful. She was excellently wonderful. She said, Mark, you know, we're going to focus on getting computer. I just I can't do anything about the housing. I can't really do anything about how you're being treated. You know, you can call back to see if you know we have some other unit to do this. So when I finally got close because of the COVID, so it was a little bit time consuming, but that was nobody, you know, everybody was kind of laid low with that. Uh, she said, well, you know, do you, when we're gonna do the hearing, do you wanna speak first and then I'll talk? Or would you like me to go first? As we get speaking more, because she had taken in all the documents and that was a little bit of holdup and stuff. And uh, I heard what she was talking about. I said, well, no, 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 you're gonna have to go first. And the great thing was, is that not only was she speaking about me, but also the federal laws, state laws, and how it impacted other people. And through interacting with her and Jeremy and other people there, uh, I kind of also got the sense that, well, access is not quite so bad. I think it's an issue of, they've never run into this. And being bureaucrats, they don't know what the response is. And when that meeting came, she was wonderful. She laid out all of the facts and stuff. And she's going through all the laws. You could almost see, because it was a Zoom call, the people that were there and they were higher up, they were kind of like, whoa, they got a response back in three days. But to get to your original question, uh, yeah, it was great because so many people I've run into, so many bureaucracies and stuff, they beat you down. It's like they don't hear you. They don't address all of the issues. They won't even address the pertinent issues. And here's an organization that's kind of like, yeah, okay, this is what's really going on. You know, this is how we're going to help. This is not overwhelming like it may have been to you. And, and that is probably uh, one of the greatest things about that whole experience is you're able to maintain and not get sucked into a lot of anxiety or things of that nature. Well, Mark, I'm so glad that you felt seen and heard and had a great experience with DRNY. And now let's let's talk a little bit about Access VR and their failure to replace your laptop. I mean, how did that affect you and also your business? I mean, your laptop is your lifeline to your business. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, actually, what, what was going on is uh, I had some clients now. I was you know, developing some repeat clients, doing events and things. Uh, this is like autism in Long Island. Uh, really nice events, good people to work with and stuff. And I was also doing big data events. And as I was progressing along, I was probably doing like three or four of them a month because the other photographer he was working with, uh, he decided to go with me. So what that ended up doing is I ended up having to say to Eric, I says, you know, I can't cover the events anymore. And he said, well, I'll give you extra time. And it's like, well, I don't have the processing power. I can go and take the photos, but you know, I don't want to be giving you raw photos and putting you behind the eight ball. So uh, it basically put me out of business. And so what had happened with that is uh, that was an area of my life where I was in control. I knew what I was doing. I was you know, on that path to resolving things, so to speak, and then taken out from underneath me. And now I'm looking around at my surroundings and the people that I'm involved with and the difficulties there, which were tremendous. And the responses you're getting from where you're at, which we all got, which was just really 
not helpful, I guess would be the best way of saying it and stuff. So yeah, it caused a little bit of depression. It caused a little bit of anxiety. It's unfortunately the bad side of humanity, you know. And so as you think about how all of this affected you and, and was really affecting every part of your life, talk about the process of working with DRNY to resolve this specific issue. Yeah, my, my experience in working with DRNY was really positive. I mean, actually, it was more so than, you know, getting this laptop replaced. It was, uh, well, here's an old word we used up in the, uh, Western Massachusetts, hostolic. Uh, in other words, you felt, or, or I did, experience speaking with a human being that was concerned, caring, and knowledgeable. And the great thing about Brenda, I think, because I work most closely with her, was she would tell me, no, Mark, I'm here on this particular thing. I can't help you with that. But you can always contact them on to see if they can help you. This is mostly focused around the housing. But it was that upfront honestness, always keeping me informed as to what was happening, information I needed to know. I was always concerned about well, how long is this going to take and giving me an idea of that. And, and so looking back on that, excellent human being, she really understand empathetically what you're experiencing. And so that gave you, gave me the tools and everything to you know, keep calm, keep preserve, you know, uh, preserving or perseverance with this. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, overall it was an excellent experience. As far as anyone else, Yes, yes. I would highly recommend them because if you're caught up in a system or something, people may just not know how to respond. They may not be being mean. But, you know, if, if, if it's that or they're being mean, it doesn't really matter because you're the one who's suffering. You're the one who's burdened. And you may not be able to articulate. You may not know what's going on. I certainly didn't. And having an advocate like that for you is just wonderful. You can still do the work. You can still be part of it. In fact, I think they want you to be part of it because it's all about, I won't say the word enabling, but you being treated like a human being, you being treated with respect, you having a serious issue or problem that can be you know, taken care of and you can move on with your life. And so Mark, if you're comfortable and, and you want to share with our audience, talk to us a little bit about your experience going through this process while you were living in a shelter and um, what kind of impact did that have on you um, while you were going through the process from the very beginning until now? This really impacted me deeply. Uh, you know, I, I was drowning uh, with the loss of the laptop, you know, which, what little hold I had on self-esteem, dignity, whatever you want to call it, uh, was taken away. I mean, I didn't have opportunities to interact with people. That's one of the things I never brought up was it was fascinating to be at the UN. I mean, uh, Theresa May, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, president of Chile. Uh, I was in a room photographing them. I, I think I gave you a photo of some of the people that were all the other photographers that were there. Different events I had exposure to and uh, going back each night to this shelter where people were really struggling, uh, mental health issues, persistent uh, drug addiction, alcoholism and stuff. And uh, it becomes hopeless. Uh, you get sucked into that kind of 
milieu or whatever you want to call it. But uh, not to get down on this, this down note, but once again, uh, there are so many good people out there in this organization and such, and being connected up with them, being heard, being given the tools to get yourself out of there, uh, being treated with dignity and respect helps you to come back around in terms of, well, this is who I am in totality. This is just a period in my life that I will overcome. Uh, that was really the great experience of it. And, and it, in retrospect, it didn't take that long. It really was a very short and powerful journey. And as you think about that journey, do you think about uh, whether or not working with DRNY has encouraged you to self-advocate? Yeah, I, I would agree. In terms of uh, helping you to advocate for yourself uh, is very good. And I think one of the things for me in particular, because of being caught in these different systems for so long, is reorientating you back to, well, this is what the actual issues are. So you can cut out the BS, as they say, and be polite in everything and not being angered, although you have a right to be angry, but that's not going to be overly effective. But when you're able to go in there, like, like I was saying earlier and saying, well, you know, maybe you don't understand or maybe we're not looking at this thing or whatever, and then giving other people the grace to take care of a mistake and not lose face. So yeah, it, it really was helpful. I learned a lot of good strategies. And as we talk with you here now, we see you in your apartment and we just discussed you know, your, your time in the shelter. Can we talk about how your life has changed since this case was resolved? Well, we had gone through the meeting while I was still in shelter. Uh, luckily since that, and I think, you know, when you're kind of overburdened like that, to have something like this central to who you are cleared up, a lot more optimism. And it was like, boom, I went out, I found a beautiful apartment. I went on Craigslist of all places. I'm doing all the realtor stuff and nothing's happening. Yeah, and so I met the people who were like the agents for it. We got along well. So most of that issue is resolved. I'm in a nice safe neighborhood. It's really easy to get around from here. Uh, in terms of the business, I'm, I'm trying to focus on doing more product photography and I've got to get that portfolio together. So there's that last bit of frustration with HRA and moving myself out of storage. And uh, I keep telling myself, boy, once this is done, that will never, ever, ever need these people and never even talk to them. It's like, go away from me. But I'm also going back through my work and I have a number of websites and, I, and, and this, this monitor is so happy with it. It's huge, it's color corrected. I can do so much work on it. Uh, so I spoke with some consultants I'm breaking these things down and focusing. Like I have one that's basically uh, regarding fashion. Uh, I think that's MarkSullivanPhoto.com. I did share some of those links. And then some of the other sites I like, they are uh, they have too much stuff in them. So I'm trying to focus them down. Uh, and then now with this COVID thing kind of coming to an end and everything, I'll probably try, you know, I've, I've gotten my driver's license coming up, get my passport back. So that'll allow me, and I just looked at the UN, Right now, unfortunately, because of you know, COVID and everything and who, who's involved, they're not doing very many meetings more like this, although they do have the noon press briefings, which I might try to go back after them. So uh, nothing specific in terms of shooting, 
although I'm getting all prepped up and ready to go. And uh, I'm thinking the spring is going to be excellent, definitely by the summer. And as you think about uh, this experience from the beginning until now, and you know, we're talking to our audience right now, um, what advice do you have for anyone who may be experiencing a similar situation um, or advice on advocating for themselves? Yeah, in terms of, uh, I, I think in, in terms for myself in particular, I was dealing with a lot of different issues and everything. So it was somewhat overwhelming. Uh, but I think the thing that I did is, is uh, was persistent. I kept reaching out and reaching out. Now, if you have a disability, like we'd spoken earlier, you know, that's just something that you decide whether you want to disclose or not. And uh, having an advocate or something like this here makes it very, very helpful. You know, this is something that an average person, say, for instance, or somebody who didn't have a disability might be able to deal with, although I doubt it. These bureaucracies just seem to be places for people to have a job. They seem to miss what they're supposed to do. When you're working with uh, DRNY, they're pretty much straight on what their mission is. They know that you have an issue or, or disability or whatever, and that doesn't equate everything about you. It may be something just particular, you're gonna have a little bit of trouble, you need a little support. So it's finding the good people like this or people who are gonna help you. I think that's the biggest problem, but don't give up. Keep persisting. Don't give up because there are a lot of good people out there that are willing to help. Mark, thank you so much for that. And before we sign off today, is there anything else you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, so I, I am looking for uh, sponsors for my work from China. I had uh, shown it to the cultural attache here in uh, the Chinese embassy here in New York. Uh, they said they would uh, send a delegation to any exhibits I might have. I'd also reached out to Dugal, and they were considering being a secondary sponsor. What that would entail is they would do the printing and everything. Uh, they'd had experience in putting on exhibits at the UN and such. So what a primary sponsor would do, it basically funded. Uh, the prints are going to be taken care of. So there would be you know, setting up a space and then inviting whomever you'd like. The nice thing about this particular work and exhibit is it's been vetted by a, a curator at MoMA and she thought it was very good in that it could go anywhere. I mean, this would go worldwide. I, I don't know if people know, but the Chinese people have established these little enclaves basically all over the world and mostly in Southern China who I was, my former wife was from there. So uh, I really would like to get that work out to the public. Mark, thank you again for your time today and sharing your story with us. We'll be sure to put your website in the notes of this podcast. Thank you again. Empire State of Rights has been brought to you by Disability Rights New York, your source for disability rights and advocacy. If you enjoyed our program, make sure to subscribe, like, and share this post. The video for this episode is available on our YouTube channel with closed captioning and ASL interpretation. If there is a subject you would like us to discuss, please email podcast at drny.org or comment below. For more Empire State of Rights, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.